Way City Church, located in Woodbridge, Virginia, is led by Pastor Marlon Yearwood and exists to reach the lost and disciple the believer. Good morning, everybody. Good Palm Sunday morning. Thank God. It is a, uh, it is a day for celebrating. It is a day for rejoicing for all that God has done both past, present, and what he will do, and for what he is presently doing, most certainly. We uh, had a men's fellowship this past Friday uh, where the men's uh, small group got together, and uh, oh man, it was an awesome time. It was beautiful. I got there crazy late, but it was still good. It was still good. Had a good time. I loved uh, seeing my brothers, uh, my brothers in Christ. Oh, God. I, I, Lord God, I am so grateful, Lord. I, Lord God, um, it's a rare and beautiful thing, Lord God. We cannot take it for granted. We cannot take it for granted. That diversity. Come on now, y'all know what I'm talking about. That diversity, that that fellowship that we were able to have, that, that brotherly love that transcended race and ethnicity, backgrounds, experiences. It was something bigger, something greater than those things that bound us together and continues to bind us together, something bigger than us, right? We can't take it for granted, and I think sometimes we do. But I also think sometimes we don't fight hard enough for it. We don't protect it. We don't value it and defend it. I thank God for what he's doing here. I thank God for the diversity he's blessed us with in this church. I thank God for what uh, I believe he will continue to, go, continue to do through the Way City Church. Um, but let's get into the text. From Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. We're going to start there, verse 14. We're going to read through the verse 16. Just want to get this into your minds um, and be meditating on this because uh, I, uh, I have something to say today that I, I felt heavy on my heart to say. At verse 14, it says this. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and, glory, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I want you to meditate on that um, as I'm about to say what I'm about to say. And specifically, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Um, for at least the past two weeks, I was actually planning uh, to preach about something else today. Uh, but I heard something this past week that really provoked me on the inside. My spirit was provoked in me. Um, 
It was like a righteous anger. It kind of reminded me of Acts 17. And the Bible says that uh, when Paul was in Athens, right? When he was in Athens, he was waiting for uh, Silas and Timothy. And he saw all the idols in the city, that the city was full of idols. And the Bible says his spirit was provoked in him. He was stirred up with a righteous indignation for the glory of the Lord, right? I've been hearing some very concerning and some disturbing and some even heartbreaking um, things over the past year or so about the state of certain churches, particularly in America, particularly in America. Uh, but it was something that I heard this past week specifically that really uh, provoked me so much that by late Thursday night, early Friday morning, uh, I felt so strongly that I needed to use this opportunity uh, here to address it. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2 through 4 says this. I want to share this with you guys too. It says this in verse 2, For I feel a divine jealousy for you. Since I betrothed you to one husband... To present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Lord help. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning. Your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. As I read the scripture when preparing this sermon, I thought to myself, yeah, that, that, that's it. That's, that's what I'm feeling. That's part of what I'm feeling. And though I, I don't know if I can say I have betrothed any of you uh, to Christ, right? What I can say uh, is that I desire that the Lord's people would stay faithful to him as a pure virgin, and not be carried away by seducing and lying evil spirits and doctrines of demons. I desire that you be faithful to our Lord. Um, so with that, what I've noticed, what has come to my attention is that there are certain things from the world and from the world's uh, ideologies and from the world's uh, plans and ideas of how to address certain issues that are that are creeping into the church. It's not from God. It's not Christ. It is the world. And there are those in the church who are receiving it readily, or maybe receiving it under pressure, but they are receiving it nonetheless. It is this 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 thing, and and you know it has different names. It has different names. One in particular that comes to mind 
that seems to be very prevalent is critical race theory, CRT, right? Oh my goodness. I mean, ever so cunningly, it's creeping into the society, into the schools, right? And now even into the church. Many of the teachings, let's be clear, many of the teachings and major themes of, of critical race theory in, in particular, such as intersectional theory and non-white cultural nationalism and separatism, let's be clear here, these things are divisive and in some cases even racist. Let's, let's speak with plain language. They are divisive and in some cases even racist in and of themselves, and, and they have no place in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Without spending too much time on CRT, let me just say this. Any philosophy or theory, whether it is CRT or any other, that prejudges, villainizes, assumes, or ascribes guilt of something, for example, racism or any other evil, to an entire group of people solely on the basis of the color of their skin and not on the basis of the content of their character and actions as individuals is racist, racially discriminatory, divisive, and evil, and has no business being taught as a means for racial reconciliation in the Lord's church. That is not how we address race issues in the church of Jesus Christ. Not by separatism. Not by separating people into groups and ascribing guilt to an entire ethnicity of people just because of the color they were born. It is wrong to assume and to teach that a person is racially prejudiced or discriminatory because they were born with a certain skin color or ethnicity. It is wrong to make little children of any ethnicity feel like they are guilty of something just because they were born the color that they are. It's wrong. And whoever you are out there espousing this kind of rhetoric, the Lord God will judge. The Lord God will judge for this kind of talk. Unless you repent. Regardless of what color a person's skin may be, they are not automatically to be assumed racist and they are not automatically immune to the sin of racism because of the color of their skin either. Notice that, the sin of racism. Let's not mince words here. Oh, I know, I know this is one of the taboo areas. Curtis, you don't have enough tenure in the ministry just yet to, to address this, right? We don't typically talk about these things in church, right? Family, let's talk. Let's have a talk. Regardless of what color a person is, if they are practicing racism or racial prejudice, 
against other people, whether in their heart or outwardly, it is not because of the color of their skin. It is because they are in sin and need to repent. They need to ask God for forgiveness. They need to repent. They don't need to be broken into groups and, 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 and all this other stuff and, and, uh, and avoid each other. And What I heard this past week in particular that provoked me to change the sermon I was preaching before uh, was this. This is what I heard. I heard that there's a certain individual out there in particular, apparently a person of color, and from what I could tell, supposedly has the title of a minister, who is essentially calling for black people to leave so-called white churches, to leave, right? And to take their peace with them, to quote, leave loud, is what this person said. Leave loud. They tried to use the passage of when Jesus sent out his apostles, and they tried to use that to justify telling black people to leave so-called, quote, white churches. They said, if the son of peace is not there, to take your peace with you, right? And they said, look, look, look. and during this dialogue, this person started going through a list of grievances, right? Started going through a list of grievances. All right. To, to name a few, they said, uh, if they repeatedly mispronounce your name at the church you're at, repeatedly mispronounce your name, if they, um, what was uh, some of the other ones? I think I captured some here. If they mistake you for someone else of the same race, but looks nothing like you. And on and on and on, and they went down this list of grievances. If this is happening at your church, it's sin, and you need to leave and to leave loud in protest and go to a so-called, quotation marks, black church. Can you, can you see why I was a little provoked? Brothers and sisters, today we are celebrating Palm Sunday. The triumphant entry of our Lord Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. And just days later, he was going to lay down his life to die, to save us from our sins, to redeem a people unto himself, to build a church in which the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he calls us to unity. He calls us to bear with one another. He calls us to resist this kind of divisiveness. Brothers and sisters, we have to realize when what he died for is under attack and defend this precious gift of the church, defend this, this, this jewel, this treasure that, that Jesus died and bled for. Speak up and defend it. Let me, let me move on. I don't know how many people out there have listened to this person. But essentially, let's, let's get down to, I don't know what you want to call it, brass tacks here, right? 
Essentially what this person is calling for is segregation in the church. It's not mince words here. We've been fighting against this for generations. And it's like a movement. It's a movement. And they're calling for segregation, to, to, to come away, to separate. And either go to a black church or go to a church where there's white people there, but they're more, they, they, they get it, right? Beloved brothers and sisters, these are false teachings. These are false teachings that this person is saying. They are divisive. They divide us. They must not be accepted by God's people. They must not be accepted into the Lord's church. Beloved brothers and sisters, these false teachings that we just discussed, they are not from God, but from the world. They are from the world. They are like wolves in sheep's clothing, trying to sneak in to the flock of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we read earlier in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16, the Lord Jesus tells us that we, his people, the church, are the light of the world. We have the Lord Jesus Christ, the light of the world, the truth, living in us, not the world. And therefore, we are not to follow the examples and patterns of life and teachings of the culture and world system around us. We are the light of the world. We are like a city set on a hill. Not them. So why are we adopting their ways of dealing with things? We don't need it. We don't need it. Let's not forget what the the clear teaching of Scripture is. Those who do not have Jesus Christ, who do not have the light, they are in the darkness. They are still stumbling about, staggering about like blind men in the darkness. From every passing theory or philosophy, they stumble about from this option to that option, this today, that tomorrow. That is not us. So why would we follow that? We, says our Lord Jesus Christ, are the light of the world. The Lord Jesus tells us that we, his church, are like a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. We should be setting the example for the watching world around us by following our Lord Jesus Christ and pointing them out of darkness to him, the way, the truth, and the life, the light of the world. The word of the Lord tells us in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through 19. Please turn there with me. In verse 16, it says this, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, or, right, arrogant, puffed up, haughty, haughty eyes, 
a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that desire I'm sorry, a heart that, that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathe, who breathes out lies, and get this, and one who sows discord among brothers. It's an abomination in the sight of the Lord. He hates it. One who sows discord among brothers. So, who are brothers, right? You know, your mind might immediately go to, oh, you mean like uh, natural brothers that, that are born in the same family, right? Or, or some other kind of brothers. I might submit to you that the relationship of brotherhood that the Lord most primarily has in mind, right, is the relationship between believers. Let's look at Matthew chapter 12, please, verse 46 through 50. And it says this, verse 46. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? This is our Lord Jesus Christ talking. And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. The Lord Jesus tells us that if you are one of his disciples, one of his followers, which means you are one who seeks to do the will of God, then you are family with him. You are one of, you are one of his, listen to this, Doesn't, this should make your heart jump with joy. Jesus says you are one of his brothers or sisters or, or mother if you are someone who does the will of God. If you follow Christ, you're a part of his family. But not just his family, right? Not just part of Jesus' family, but do you know what that makes us? It makes us family. And, and guys, let's not miss even the most shocking part of what Jesus is saying here, right? Because our minds just don't work like this naturally. The most shocking thing that what Jesus is saying here is he's actually saying that this relationship takes priority over our natural ones. I mean, this is Mary, right? She's asking to talk to him, right? And, she, and, and thank the Lord that she's a woman of God, right? Thank the Lord she's a woman of God. But Jesus is taking this opportunity to change their perspective. And not just theirs, but ours too. To change their perspective. And what he is saying is, that he is giving greater priority 
to the family of believers, the family of faith, than even our natural families if they are not part of our family in the Lord Jesus Christ. If they're not part of our family in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the word of the Lord says that one who sows discord or division among brothers is an abomination to the Lord, detestable to him or something that he hates. Then his brothers and sisters should we allow race to come between us and cause divisions among us? You guys don't have to turn here, but I want to read this to you. Uh, you can if you'd like. Uh, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 through 10 says this. I want you to get this picture in your mind. Please, please don't zone out on me. Stick with me. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 through 10. And keep this in mind, do, do, should we allow race to come between us as brothers and sisters in Christ? Of course we should not. No. In verse 9, it says this, After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches <laughs> in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Does it sound like these folks let race bring divisions between them? Let me, in no uncertain terms, let me make this clear. If anyone listening to this sermon has a problem with people of a different ethnicity from you, you're probably not going to like it at this, this party in heaven. <laughs> probably not going to like it. And you know what? Unless you repent of your racial prejudice and hate, you can't come to the celebration anyway. Every nation, every tongue, every people, all celebrating before the throne of God, just the way the Lord loves it. He made us diverse for a reason, and it's beautiful. And we must defend it from the onslaught, from the attack that is coming against the church. Defend it with me, brothers and sisters. Defend it with me. It is a precious thing. Let's look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 9 through 11. In verse 9, it says this. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. What we see here is that in verse 11, it's saying to us, 
we who are in the Lord Jesus Christ should no longer consider our ethnicity. Let me say this clear. We should no longer consider our ethnicity what primarily defines or identifies us. We are Christians first before we are anything else, as the scriptures say in verse 11. Christ is all. Christ is all. Do not let that just pass through your ears and out the other end. There is no Greek here, no Jew, right? No slave, no free, no barbarian or Scythian. No black, no white, no Latino or Asian. But Christ is all and in all. I know, I know it's probably very different, right? Because they will tell you something else. You are black. And the world is shaped for you because of that. The world is already predetermined for you because of that identity. Because of that one. They will tell you you are white and that comes with a whole lot of other stuff. They will tell you you are Latino and they will tell you you are Asian and they will tell you that these things are groups that you must abide in and you can't escape. These things are intersections. But the word of our God says, no more, not here. You are a city set on a hill. You are the light of the world. Show them the way. Show them how God does things in his house. For now Christ is all and in all. What the word of the Lord is teaching, and do you, do you, do you, do you really get it? Do you really understand what the Lord of, oh, I'm sorry, what the word of the Lord is saying here? What the word of God is teaching us here is that two people, follow me here, Two people from two different natural families and different ethnicities, but are in the Lord Jesus Christ, they have a more important relationship to each other in the Lord Jesus Christ than either of them have with another person of the same ethnicity as theirs and from the same natural family as theirs. Kind of makes you, you think about when Jesus said to, I believe it was John at the cross, he said, he said, man, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. Kind of makes you think of that. Caucasian brother in Christ. That black man is your brother. Black man in Christ, African American. That Caucasian American is your brother. Closer than your blood-born brother if your blood-born brother is not a Christian. Do you believe it? Do you receive it? Will you live it? Will you love one another like brothers and sisters? And not let the world come between us. Let's continue reading, uh, please, from uh, uh, verse 12. 
And the answer uh, to this next question might seem equally obvious, right? But it's one thing to know the answer, but do we apply it? And do we practice it? So the next question I ask, uh, the next question I ask you is, should we as Christians, as followers of Christ, and the people of God allow minor grievances, annoyances, and complaints to bring divisions and bitterness between us? No, of course we should not. Let's continue reading from verse 12. It says this, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, Bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. Can I say that one more time? Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect Harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Do you, brothers and sisters, do you understand this is God talking? This is not just the Apostle Paul. Yes, it's coming out of the Apostle Paul's mouth, but this is the Holy Spirit. All Scripture is God-breathed. God, the Holy Spirit, we can't see him, but he's here, and he's speaking through his word. He's saying, bear with one another, and if you have a complaint against another, forgive each other, and put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. You were called in one body. Those people before the throne, every tribe, every nation, who are singing to the Lord God, they were called into one body. We are called into one body. We are one in Christ. No, don't walk away from your church because they mispronounced your name. Forgive one another. Put it aside. Pray for them. Did you not, did you forget how we got here? We're all sinners. Saved by grace. So why do we stumble when one of us is not perfect? Forgive one another. Scripture says this. I'm sorry, let's actually look at Ephesians chapter 4. Please, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And as you turn in there, just meditate on that, that over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, we see the word of the Lord telling us to, to, to not be eager to divide, but to the contrary, be eager to unite, 
find ways to unite, strive with each other, pardon each other, be merciful with each other. Don't hold grudges. Don't, 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 don't hold bitterness. Don't let it come between us. Jesus died for this church. He died for this church, for this bride. In verse 1, it says this. Let's read from verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 4. It says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness. Guys, I, I've, I've been known to say this a lot. and my, my wife will tell you. Words mean things. They're not just ink on a page. They're not just flying out of our mouth. Or they shouldn't be. They mean things. Humility and gentleness, it means something. Make sure you understand what God is saying here. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, bearing with each other in love, eager, I want you to catch this in verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Be eager to maintain this unity. Fight for it. I'm going to bear with you. I know you said something I didn't like, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address it. Hey, man, you know, I've been at the church for a couple of years now. You, you know, if you need, I can stay at the church and kind of, you know, say my name a couple times for you so you can get it, right? But I'm going to bear with you, man. I'm going to bear with you because Jesus died for this. How sweet. It is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It's like the oil that runs down the head and down the beard, even Aaron's beard. How sweet and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Here we go. Verse 4, there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Is he your father? He's my father. As they say, Brother from another mother, but the same daddy, right? So let's love each other like brothers and sisters. First John chapter 4, please, let's look at that. First John chapter 4, verse 7 through 12. And it says this, Beloved, yeah, I, I know. I'm going to keep it going. I'm going to keep it going. I'm going to keep firing his word at you until you get it. Because his word is quick and alive and sharper than any two-edged sword. This is not just words on the page. This is not some man-made doctrine invented in some cave somewhere. Or dreamed up 
This is God speaking. Holy men wrote as the Holy Spirit moved them. Verse 4, and verse 7, it says this, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, catch this. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. If we love one another, if we love one another, if we're not easily offended, don't be so thin-skinned. Don't be so quick. Don't be so, so bent on your, own, on your own stuff. So, so self-centered on your own stuff that it's just like, oh, I can't. No, you didn't. Oh, gloves off. I'm gone. And I'm leaving loud. So you know I didn't like it. Might even tip a couple of chairs on the way out. Come on. Come on, brothers and sisters. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Look, I, look, man, I am not... I am not unaware that it does not feel good. You, look at me! You think I've experienced some stuff? We're a city set on the hill. It's different here. Out there, it's one and done, man. You burn this bridge, don't even come back around here. It's one and done. You mess up, get on out of here, man. I don't know you. It's different here. Let's look at verse 20 in this same chapter. Verse 20 and 21, please. Verse 20 and 21. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Don't throw stones at me. And I thank God nobody here would do that. At least I hope not. <laughs> right? Now, I don't know about some folks on the internet, but that's God's word. I'm just a messenger, brothers and sisters. If I, you know, if it wasn't completely ridiculous, I'd bring a veil over here so you can't see me and just hear the word. I don't matter. I'm just a vessel. Thank God he 
saw fit to use me. But he says this. He's speaking through John. And God says, if anyone says, I love God, I love God. Look how big my Bible is. Right? I got a bedazzled crucifix, right? I got a cross. I love God. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. Verse 21. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Thank you, Lord. Let that sink in. Let that sink in. You love God? You got to love your brother. No matter what his race may be, no matter what his background may be, no matter what neighborhood he might be from, no matter if he's got like a heavy accent or something, it doesn't matter. You got to love your brother. If he is in Christ and he's, he's walking this walk with us and he's, he's, he's running this race and pressing towards the mark of the high calling, the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, that is your brother in Christ. And you bear with him. You bear with them. You bear his burdens. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You bear with them. You bear with them. You get down in the trenches with them. Band of brothers. And if he stumbles, you pick him up. And if you stumble, you pray that he'll pick you up too. But you bear with them. The Lord Jesus is calling us to an agape, self-sacrificing love. That's the kind of love he's calling us to. Not the kind of love that, hey, I like you if, as long as you don't step on my toes. I like you if you don't cross me. But he's calling us to an agape, self-sacrificing love that, hey, I love you even if you did something that kind of annoyed me today and tomorrow and the day after and the day after that and the day after that and 70 times 7. I love you. The self-sacrificing love. The kind of love that the Lord Jesus Christ himself demonstrated to us in his own life on earth in so many ways. And then ultimately by laying down his life for us on the cross and dying in our place to save us from our sins. And thank the Lord our God, the Lord Jesus Christ rose back to life again three days later. Another one of those examples where the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrated this kind of love to us, we find in John chapter 13. Let's look at that, please. And we'll, uh, we'll end with this, and, um, and then, our Lord willing, I will have communion. In verse 1, it says this, John 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, to depart out of this world to the Father, 
Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, now let me, while, while I'm here, during supper, like I said, today we are remembering and celebrating Palm Sunday, right? The triumphant in, entry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then just a couple days later, after that triumphant in, entry, Right? He prepared to have the Passover feast with his disciples. He had the Passover feast with his disciples just before he went to the cross. And this happened at the time of that Passover feast, as many of you already know, and, but for anybody perhaps on the Internet. Um, so this is what's going on here, right? So I'll start back at verse 1. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Now let's pause there for a minute. You think Jesus knew that? Of course he did. Of course he knew that the devil had already entered Judas' heart specifically to betray him. Betray him. Catch that word. And look, I don't, I don't mean to harp on this too much, but not to mispronounce his name, to betray him. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God. He knew that he was the sovereign over all, that God had given everything to him, that he was the man, right? The Lord of all. He knew it. And what did he do with that knowledge? Knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. Verse 4 says this, rose from supper. He rose up from supper. It says, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Amen. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right, for so I am. And if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, 
you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of, you, uh, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Jesus knew it. The Lord of all knew this man was, what? there's so much going on here. Oh my goodness, I, I just don't have the time. There's so much going on here. The Lord of all first humbles himself to perform the task of a servant, of a, of a slave, to wash the dirty, dusty feet of these grown men. But not just that. Then the Lord goes and takes it, <laughs> takes it further. He not only washes the feet of, of his disciples like a servant, but he washes the feet of his betrayer. can't bear with a church because they mistook you for somebody else and the captain of our faith takes off his outer garment wraps a towel around him sees the man who he has foreseen will betray him to death will lead him lead soldiers to kill him and he says essentially give me your feet he washes them. He dries them off. Lord, help us. And we call him our Lord. Follow him. He said, I've given you an example. I have given you an example that you should do this for each other. And he's not, he's, not, he's not talking about literally taking out a bowl with water and washing each other's feet per se. And I understand some ch churches practice that observance, and that's, that's fine. But as long as you understand the greater meaning of what Jesus is saying here, he's talking about a self-sacrificing love that doesn't assert yourself and say, I have my rights and you can't say that to me. And da, da, da. No, we're talking about a self-sacrificing love that says, I know you're wrong and I love you still. Don't understand me. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm not saying, it's, look, I'm not even trying to say it's no big deal. I understand different people have different thresholds. I'm not even trying to say it's, a, it's no big deal. To me, personally, I don't think it's that big a deal if somebody mispronounces my name. But hey, you might be particularly sensitive about that. My point is this. Regardless, did they betray you to death? You still got a long ways to go. Don't let it come between us. Don't let it divide us. We are the church. And if you are in the body, 
Understand, Jesus did this at the Passover feast that we now call communion. It was the last supper he would have with his disciples. And, and as we are about to observe communion ourselves, understand what Jesus is, is saying here. He's teaching them some of his, the final lessons he will teach them before he goes to the cross. And he's saying, I want you to love each other, okay? I want you to love each other like this. And I'm going to show you. I want you to be willing to lay it down for your brothers and sisters. I want you to be willing to lay down even your offenses, your grievances. They hurt you. They made you upset. Yeah, I know it bothered you, but let it go. And forgive them 70 times 7. He said if they offend you 70 times 7 times in a day and come back and repent, to forgive them and let it go. Let it go. Keep pushing. There's a greater prize ahead. There's, there's something bigger than us. This church that Jesus died for, he died for a reason. Press on. Press on. And he comes to the Passover feast, the Last Supper, and he says, this is my body which was broken for you. And he divides it and passes it around. Do you understand what that symbolizes? One loaf, one bread, and they break off many pieces and they eat it. One body, many members. Hands and feet and shoulders and arms and thighs and chest. One body, many members. We are the body of Christ. One body, many members. And as we go and observe this communion feast to receive the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, do not let that be lost on you. That when that brother next to you puts that piece of bread in his mouth and you put that bread in your mouth, understand what that symbolizes is that we are many members, but we are one body. We are one body. We are one body. Fight for it, brothers and sisters. Defend it by loving each other, no matter what. That's what Jesus died for, to redeem a people back to himself, that we would be one. Remember his prayer in John 17. Father, I pray that they would be one as we are one. Remember, remember. We'd love to hear from you. Visit us at thewaycitychurch.org.